Ezekiel 34, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and when they were scattered they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring, bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Matthew 9, starting at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Our loving Father, whether these words are familiar to us or new to us, we pray that you would help me to explain them 
clearly and truthfully and helpfully. And we pray that you would enable by your spirit, by your grace, each one of us to respond in obedience. For we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I was having lunch in the Queen Victoria building a few weeks ago before I went overseas with a friend. My friend's name is Joe, and Joe is a lady. And I was having lunch with her with a full knowledge of my wife, Helen. Uh, if uh, this was not above and above board, I wouldn't be telling you that, but it's all good. And uh, Joe and I were having lunch together, and Joe is 78 and I'm 65. And while we're having lunch in that kind of mezzanine area where people can walk past you at the tables, do you, are you familiar with the Queen Victoria? Good, I'm glad you are. While we're having lunch together and people are walking by and window shopping and other people are doing more serious shopping, a group of young people came up to us, and when I say young people, probably in their 20s or 30s, young professionals, and they introduced themselves to us and said that they were a group of people from such and such a firm in the city, a company, I didn't get the name of the company, and they said they were doing, they were on a sort of a team building, having a team building day, and one of the things they were doing on this team building day was that they had this exercise where they had to race through the city and within an hour they had to do certain things and tick them off. A little bit like uh, a chalk chase or a car rally, if anyone here can remember back to those days. So there were clues or there were things they had to do. And they said, one of the things we have to do is that we have to find an elderly couple who have been in a long-term relationship with each other and are obviously very comfortable and in love with each other and we have to get a picture on our phone of them kissing. We very politely told them that uh, we were brother and sister, we weren't a married couple, and then we admitted that we were brother and sister in Christ, and that closed the conversation down immediately and quickly. Joe thought this was outrageously funny, and I just couldn't see the funny side of it. And I don't even know why you're laughing, I still can't see the funny side of it at all. I was just outraged that these people could mistake us for a married couple. Have you ever had the situation where you think of the right thing to say 48 hours later when you're in the shower? Well, this is what I wish I'd said on that occasion and I didn't think about it till later. I wish I'd said, you should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> and the question I want to ask tonight is... Should Jesus have gone to Specsavers? We read that he sees the crowds. And what is it that he sees? And when we read these words, the question is, should Jesus have gone to Specsavers? Or perhaps is it us who should go to Specsavers? As we look at these verses in Matthew chapter 9, I'm just going to make three 
profoundly deep, uh, I'm going to ask three profoundly deep theological questions. Do you think you can handle that on a Sunday night? The three questions are these. What did Jesus see? How did Jesus feel? And what did Jesus say? So they're the three questions I'm going to ask and answer. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is not Jesus just noticing something one day that he hadn't noticed on previous days. Jesus has been preaching through all the towns and villages of Galilee. This is early in his ministry. We might call this the Galilean ministry or the Galilean mission. It's before he's got his sights set on Jerusalem, Judea and Jerusalem. And yet we're talking about something that takes place over weeks and months as he travels through, as we're told here, all the towns and villages. This ministry he's been exercising for a long period of time. And we're told that when he saw the crowds, whenever he saw the crowds, people making their way towards him, people making their way towards him with their loved ones who may have had some kind of disease, may have been demon-possessed, may have been blind, may have been lame. As he saw people coming towards them, he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What did Jesus see? He saw people and he saw their real needs. Unlike, unlike me anyway, I can't speak for you. When I see crowds of people, especially if they're in front of me at the checkout at the supermarket or at the check-in at the airport, I'm annoyed. I just see people as a kind of interruption for me getting to do what I want to do as quickly as I can. And I suspect that you've had that kind of response many, many times as well. Jesus sees people as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And let me try and illustrate this word helpless a little bit more for us. Sometimes, especially when there's a drought in this country, we are shown images, pictures on television of a dry dam, a dry watercourse, and livestock in various levels of stress. Not enough feed, and not enough water. No feed and no water. And sometimes these images that come in on, across on our TV screens will show an animal in such deep stress that it's about to die. It may, it may actually have its hooves stuck in the mud where it was looking for water to drink and it is so weak now that it can't move. It can't even 
get away from that situation. That's what the word helpless here literally conveys to us. Jesus sees people in desperate need of sustenance, in desperate need of survival, people who are on their last legs. He sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Now to understand that shepherding imagery, we need to understand that in the first century and in previous centuries to that, if sheep didn't have a shepherd, their lives were in danger, they were, their, their death was imminent. If, shepherd, if sheep didn't have a shepherd, they would have no sustenance, they would have no nourishment and they're exposed to the danger of predators. And that's how Jesus sees men and women. He sees them in need of a shepherd. He sees them in need of salvation. Because whereas the shepherds of Israel had failed in their responsibility of leadership towards God's people, and in the day of Jesus, Jesus can see that the leadership in his own day had completely failed their people in calling them back to the God who created them, to the God who called them to be his people. Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so Jesus is the shepherd that straying sheep, that sheep in desperate need, he is the one who meets that need. Let me share with you an illustration that I didn't share this morning. I know there are some people who heard me this morning. At the lunch today, Sean asked me what movie I was impacted by as a baby boomer. I didn't know he was going to... You ask questions sometimes that I never know the answer to because they... But that's the way we organise it. I'm quite happy about that. And I shared immediately, I shared a movie that had impact on me when I was a 10-year-old child. Probably in terms of today's technology, a terribly made movie. But it was state-of-the-art back in 1961. Uh, the movie that has impacted me most recently is a movie that some of you may have seen, uh, a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, have the males here seen it? Has any females here seen it? I'm not recommending that people go. Um, it is a very, very hard movie to watch. But it's whether every element of the movie is true or not is another thing. But it is about something that did happen in World War II and it's about the heroics of a man who was a pacifist but went to the war as a medic. And there's a scene in the movie where this particular man and, and we're told that this, is, this part of it is factual, uh, throughout a night and throughout a day he rescues 75 almost dead men from the battlefield and he does it single-handedly and throughout, throughout this part of the movie he is praying and crying out to God for the strength 
just to rescue one more, to save one more. So as he rescues someone and lowers them down to safety, sometimes they have limbs blown off, he cries out, Lord, one more. Give me the strength to save or to rescue one more. And he just dives into uh, the battlefield again and pulls out another wounded, almost dead soldier. And it made me think about the parable that Jesus tells about the shepherd who leaves 99 sheep in safety and goes in search of one lost sheep. And that is, of course, what Jesus himself does in being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. It's almost as if you can hear Jesus saying, Father, I will go and rescue the straying sheep. One more, one more, one more. As Jesus comes into the world and pays the penalty for our sin to bring his sheep, to bring his people home. So what does Jesus see? He sees people's real need, their need of forgiveness, their need of salvation. John Chapman may be a name that some of you are familiar with. John was a good friend of mine and I'm currently writing a book about him. John said in his book, A Fresh Start, and some of you will be familiar with that book, he said, there is no doubt that a person's greatest need is their need of forgiveness. But it's not their only need. And we do less than justice to the Bible if we pretend that it is. Jesus saw the greatest need that men and women have is their need for forgiveness. That is why he went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, rose again from the dead. But we know too as we read the New Testament that people have other needs. You've been reading through James and you've been reminded of the fact that the Bible calls us to reach out to vulnerable people, in particular those who, who can be most exposed to the indifference or the exploitation of others, such as widows and orphans. And I'm sure it's not just those two categories of people. It could well be refugees. It could be people who are displaced by war or displaced by other situations. And these are also needs that the Christian community will want to reach out to. In Jesus' day, we're told that people were healed of every disease and sickness. Uh, that is a particular aspect of Jesus' ministry which we don't necessarily apply to today. Uh, that is to say, as Jesus proclaimed the kingdom, the forces of evil are being driven out before him. I would long as I travel to places as you would and see all manner of human suffering, I would love, I would love to have the power to heal someone with a disability. I would love to have that kind of authority. But we know this took place during Jesus' ministry. 
Uh, it was something that revolved around that first century situation. And as Jesus called the 12 disciples to follow him and sent them out to heal every disease and sickness, he gave them that authority to do that at the time. That part of this passage of scripture will not apply to us in the same way that it applied then. But there will be other ways in which it does. What did Jesus see? He saw people, he saw their real need. They were like sheep without a shepherd. How did Jesus feel? We're told that he had compassion. We're told that he had pity. The word pity seems to be a weak word to us. The word compassion is certainly stronger. The word literally means that he was moved deep in his being for the needs of men and women. It's a, it's a word that involves a physical reaction, a, a visceral reaction. Something, something just grabbed him deep in his guts. That's the force of the word. Sometimes we are moved to pity, Sometimes we are moved to compassion. Sometimes we are moved because of sentimentality. But Jesus' response, the way that he felt, was the way that the living God feels about the plight of men and women. God is a God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And thirdly, what did Jesus say? Look at these words with me. Verse 37 and verse 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Did you notice... You may not have noticed this. Did you notice that Jesus mixes his metaphors? He was talking about livestock. He was talking about harassed and helpless sheep. And all of a sudden he's now talking about, well, it's still an agricultural metaphor, but we're not talking about livestock anymore. We're talking about grain. We're talking about the growing of crops. And he mixes his metaphor. He changes the metaphor to remind the disciples that there's a plentiful harvest and to ask his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. We usually resort to prayer as a last thing when all else fails, pray. Jesus tells his disciples to pray as a very first priority. There's something we can learn from that. And then the other thing we can learn from that is, if you'll read from chapter 10 onwards, Jesus sends out the 12 to share in the mission with him. They have the authority, they have the power over sickness and disease that he himself has. Well, that's not transferred to us. But as we pray... 
the call to be the answer to our prayers will be just as relevant as it was for them. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. May God raise up a generation of men and women, a generation of people. May he raise us up to be the answer to our own prayers as we go out into our daily activities, as we go out into the areas of the world that we can influence right now. May God raise up the number of witnessing people who will testify to the love and the mercy and the salvation of the one who is the good shepherd. Friends, what is it that we hear as we look at this part of the Bible? What is it that we see when we see people around us? How will we respond to the word of God which invites us, which calls upon us to be a part of this great work of making the Good Shepherd known, to making the wonderful message of salvation, of the forgiveness of sins, known to those around us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we will see people as you see them. That we will feel for people as you feel for them. And that we will respond to your challenge to pray. And by your grace, be the answer to our own prayers. Amen.